welcome to another edition of the UK Law Weekly podcast with me, your host, Marcus Cleaver. This week we are going to be looking at the case of Herculito Maritime Limited and Gunvor International. The citation for this case is 2024 UKSC 2. And today we are going to be looking into a shipping case involving pirates and ransom payments. The MT Polar is a vessel that was chartered to Clear Lake Shipping Limited in 2010 to go from St. Petersburg to Fujera, or if the charterer wanted, Singapore. Six bills of lading were issued for the cargo, nearly 70,000 tonnes of fuel oil. Unfortunately, at the end of October 2010, the vessel was seized by Somali pirates as she travelled through the high-risk Gulf of Aden. In the end, the vessel was held for 10 months until a ransom of $7.7 million was paid by the owner of the ship, Herculito Maritime Limited, the respondents in this case. The principle of general average, which requires extraordinary expenses to be apportioned between the parties, was invoked by Herculito, and it was concluded that those with interest in the cargo, including Gunvor International, the appellants in this case, owed the ship owner nearly $6 million as their part of the ransom payment. The cargo interests, as they are referred to throughout this case, argue that they actually have no liability under general average. Instead, they suggest that their contract with the ship owner under the bills of lading means that Herculito's only remedy was to recover the money under additional insurance cover, which was specifically for risks like this one. While the cargo interests were initially successful at the tribunal, their arguments failed in the upper courts, and so they now appeal to the Supreme Court, which is where we pick things up. The justices had four related issues to deal with, and so we will go through each of these in turn. The first is whether a reading of the charter precludes the shipowner from claiming against the charterer because of the additional insurance that was taken out. The starting point is that the parties to any contract can agree that specific losses are to be covered by insurance rather than against the other party. This creation of a so-called insurance fund or code has been seen before under demise charters and time charters, but this case involves a voyage charter and so the Supreme Court had to decide if it could apply in this case. The Charter did include a number of war-risk clauses, including in relation to the Gulf of Aden. It was known that the direct geographical route for a vessel travelling from St. Petersburg to Fujera was via Suez and the Gulf of Aden. As such, the ship owner did take out kidnap and ransom insurance and paid an additional premium on their war-risk insurance. The argument by the cargo interests appealing this case is therefore pretty simple. The war risk clauses, alongside the decision by the ship owner to pay a premium on their insurance, shows that there was an intention to rely on insurers rather than the other party in the event of a loss. This was backed up by reliance on the 1983 case of the Evia No. 2. However, the justices felt that there were a number of material differences between that case and the current proceedings. For a start, because the Gulf of Aden is notorious for piracy, it would not be open to the ship owner to argue that the risk was a war risk under the contract. As such, this case should be distinguished 
and this judgment even cautioned against reliance on the EVIA number 2 in future cases, because the search for an insurance code introduces uncertainty in a commercial law context where certainty is of paramount importance. The result was that there was held to be no insurance code included in the Charter. In truth, this negated the subsequent issues in this case, but to complete the exercise, the justices assumed that there was an insurance code in the Charter, and so the next question was whether the relevant clauses were incorporated into the Bill of Lading. On this point, the shipowner argued that because the war risk clauses are to do with insurance rather than the loading, carriage and discharge of cargo, they are not incorporated into the Bill of Lading. However, the justices disagreed because the war risk clauses are related to the route taken by the vessel, and are thus relevant to the carriage of the cargo. If the war risk clauses are in the Bill of Lading, then this brings us on to the next issue, which is whether the ship owner is able to make a claim for losses against the holder of the Bill of Lading. The cargo interests argue that the charterer should be regarded as having paid the insurance premiums on behalf of the cargo interests, as it is they who will bear most of the responsibility in the event of having to pay a ransom. However, the actual words of the charter do not support that interpretation, and it is clear that the obligation is on the charterer. As such, the ship owner can make claims against the bill of lading holders for any losses. The final question for the justices was whether the wording of the clauses should be changed so that the holders of the bill of lading should be named instead of the charterers when it stipulates who should be responsible for paying additional insurance premiums. In theory, the wording of charter clauses can be altered so that it fits the bill of lading. But the Supreme Court decided that this was not necessary in this case because the wording makes sense in the context of the bills of lading to show the basis upon which the ship owner has agreed to transit via the notorious Gulf of Aden. Furthermore, it does not really make sense for the wording to be changed as it would expose bill of lading holders to pay unknown amounts of money. In the end, then, the appeal by the cargo interests failed, and they are responsible for the ransom payment in general average. At first glance, I think that this decision can appear to be a bit strange, because what is the point of taking out insurance if you are just going to make one of the parties pay for the loss? However, while there certainly can be an insurance code, where that does not exist, the parties to a contract should be able to obtain legal redress for any losses suffered. In this case, the court was asked to imply an insurance code in, but that was based on relatively weak grounds, and the justices agreed that in order to do so, an insurance code must be a necessary consequence of the agreement. For those familiar with contract law, this is similar to a necessarily implied term. Finally, I think this case is especially relevant today, with escalating hostilities in the Middle East, and in particular Houthi attacks in the Red Sea. One of the points made by the Supreme Court was that a ship owner cannot deviate from a pre-agreed route unless there are material changes to the circumstances since the start of the charter. As this situation escalates, it would not be surprising to see more cases involving vessels being held to ransom in the not-too-distant future. Well, thank you very much for tuning into this podcast. 
and thanks as ever to bensound.com who provide the theme music. A quick reminder before we go that if you would like to support the podcast and help to keep it ad-free, then you can subscribe to my newsletter and earn yourself some nice perks including more content from me each week and a free ebook on how to answer essay questions on a law degree. If that sounds like something you're interested in, then do check out the link in the description to this podcast episode. Anyway, I'll be back with another episode next week, but for now, bye!